0: Welcome to the Umiwi Amplified Podcast: Interviews with Women Leading Social Impact, hosted by Suzanne F. Stevens, international speaker, author, and multi-award-winning social entrepreneur and founder of the Umiwi Social Impact Group. Enjoy the wisdom that will be a compass on how to make your contribution count for you, your organization, and your community.
1: Welcome to You Me We Amplified. We are live today on LinkedIn YouTube on the Suzanne F. Stevens page and on Facebook on You Me We Movement. I'm so excited to have our guest, Cynthia O'Neill, today, founder of High Altitude Think Inc. Cynthia is a multi entrepreneur, though. She is also the founder of Impact with Cynthia O oh and Power of the Purse Women's Conferences. Most recently, she launched Lead Her Alliance. This global mentorship program matches young women mentees at the start of their careers with seasoned women as their mentors. And we will be diving into Lead Her Alliance today. And the what, the why, and the how Cynthia makes her contribution count with her social impact all the way from London, Ontario, Canada. Well, Cynthia.
2: Hi, and how are you?
1: I'm fabulous. It's great to be connecting with another Trailblazer Powerhouse Women. So thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this so much. So I'm glad we're finally here doing this.
1: It's always interesting why people start what they do. So why don't you start telling us what was the catalyst for you for starting Lead Her Alliance?
2: Absolutely. And it's a great question and great spot to start because for me, Suzanne, this has been incubating in my mind for a number of years now. And it was really finding the right time where I would have capacity to put the effort into it that I needed to. And quite honestly, COVID was, in fact, the thing that that gave me that opportunity. So While we look for kind of the bright spots and we all talk about how we pivoted and what we've had to do for me, it really was an opportunity that I wasn't expecting quite yet, but I grabbed it when I could. That was the why of the timing for me.
1: Now, because this is a mentor program for young women, how important do you think having a mentor actually is?
2: Uh, Listen, I personally and passionately believe that mentoring is that key element to success for all of us. And I was a mentee for a number of years when I was starting my career, and then I became a mentor and I've had the privilege to mentor a number of young people over the years. And I know for a fact that opportunity to be able to have the access To the person who's, as you said at the top, seasoned and experienced, but having access to them. How do you gain that access? How do you get the invitation to reach out whenever you need them? And those are important elements, I think, to really successfully mentoring. And it was the catalyst for why I felt creating Lead Her Alliance was needed. So for me, I felt we needed a formalized program something that had a start and end date to it. It had additional things around it and it was formalized so that each participant mentor and mentee were given the, the lane to get into, to be able to access each other. And they were given a schedule and reasons and questions to ask each other and just launch the conversation and the rest follows organically. So that was the whole principle behind it. Let's have an organized program program with a start date, with expected expectations and deliverables, obviously have fun with it, but then also have something that is a network that continues for years afterwards.
1: Fabulous. Now, how do you select the mentee and mentor to promote compatibility between the two?
2: Firstly, props out to Sarah Hilton. So Sarah Hilton is our director of programs and she has come on board with me since the start of this program and she does the actual matches so she is our matchmaker and so we though use a a program that matches personalities it matches um, goals it's an application form that the mentee fills out but we get her discussing what does she want to achieve from having a mentor what would her ideal mentor be what are the kinds of things that she is concerned about or looking for help with if she knows. And of course, that grows and changes as we go on, but at her initial intro to the program. And then on the other end, very much the same with the mentors. So we recruit the mentors. It started out with women that both Sarah and I knew. And then from there, referrals from other women. And then we've talked about it on LinkedIn and Facebook and on various um, platforms. And women are reaching out to us and saying, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Let me get involved. And again, though, the match is what does that mentor have to bring to the table? What's her experience? Where's she been? What are the kinds of things that she's doing in her career? What she touched in the past? And let's take those and then match those to the mentor who says that's what she's looking for. It makes such sense to us that even if they don't know they need each other, that would be a really good match because of something we see in them. So it's a a real combination. The secret sauce there too, how come this is, is working so well as we have launched it. So that's the process, though. It really is a very um, specific match based on feedback and an application process. And of course, conversation. Sarah speaks to everybody on the phone before she does the match.
1: Such an important element. I've taken a really deep dive into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Mm -hmm. and most recently, I've conducted a five-part panel discussion with five different communities. In several of those conversations, there was an emphasis of having a similar cultural background. For example, if you're going to have a mentor, be it a Black mentor with a Black mentee, Indigenous with Indigenous, Asian with an Asian. So there's a deep understanding of some of the challenges and, and opportunities that present themselves in a multicultural scenario. Have you taken consideration into culture and race in trying to establish mentor-mentee relationships? Mm-hmm.
2: So firstly, the, the goal of Lead Her Alliance is that it's a global program and we've managed to succeed at that right out of the gate. So we have mentees currently are in the Ukraine, they're in England, South Africa, India, um, Philippines. So we have uh, mentees who are in a global as well as across Canada and certainly quite a few of them here in in Ontario as well. And the same with our mentors. And so it depends again on what the mentee is looking for. And we have a very diverse population. So we have women of color. We have women who are Aboriginal. We have women who are visible minorities, who are represented. And in one case, as an example, we have a young woman who's a newcomer. She's a Muslim woman. She is here And trying to break into our culture to she's done some schooling here and now she wants her job. So that was a request that she made. She had said, I would specifically like my mentor to have newcomer experience because I really feel that's what I'm missing and I want. So not to exclude Uh, Anyone who wasn't, but that was a specific request. And in our application process, there's a dialogue about that for every one of our applicants to say. And it isn't essential for all of them. And they're not all saying, yes, I absolutely want someone who is the same race as me or has the same ethnic background. But when they do, then that's what we fulfill for them. I think there's opportunity for everyone to be able to find what they want in that respect. But yeah, diversity is really important, certainly. And we want them to be represented.
0: This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your compass to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Visit youmewe.ca book for more information. Thanks for listening. Now back to the podcast.
1: What I do like about that is it's the conversation to establish who do you want and and let's Let's really focus on that because one of my challenges was sometimes people want someone with a different culture so that, that, as you were mentioning, the, the Muslim woman may want somebody that actually does live here for different reasons to navigate The opportunities that exist. So that's wonderful that you're doing that. Now I do know there's specific industries that you tend to focus on to provide mentors and mentees. Do you want to give us a list of some of that? And so when people are watching this, they too can say, Hey, you know what? I, I have experience there. Yeah. And I think you're you're actually going after some really interesting industries that we often don't see uh, females dominate in, or we don't dominate in anything, but uh, we do in some ways, but exactly. or, <laughs> but uh, there's not a lot of representation of, of women in a lot of the industry. So please share.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the idea of how the business end of this is set up is that there's two umbrellas, and one we're calling the general cohort. And the other is private labels. So under the general cohort, our applicants for mentees are widespread. So any young woman from, or anyone who's identifying as female is welcome to apply. There's a criteria of age. So she is in her last two years of post-secondary education through to her first five years of employment. So somewhere in that is where she comes from and that's general cohort. And then we do the matching. So those teams run. And it's fun that the teams are named. So the first one that we launched was Team A, awesome. And then we have Team B, brave. And now we have Team C, courage. And we'll continue with that. But on the other side, under this private label, we are specifically channeling an area that we know. So for example, we have Lead Her Trucking. So under Lead Her Alliance, we have Lead Her Trucking. And we have this amazing relationship with women in trucking, which is uh, US-based, but US and Canada Membership of women who are in trucking. And so they're drivers who are their members, they're the driving schools, companies that employ, their membership is broad based. But they have joined with us and we've created Lead Her Trucking. And so, as the name implies, our mentees are women who are actually long haul drivers. They're in the beginning of their careers and they're matched with seasoned mentors who are women who have been on the road for a number of years. A lot of them have come off the road and they own a fleet. Some have owned fleets and then have gone back to single driving. The difference on that one, by the way, Suzanne, is that we say young mentees, age doesn't apply in the women in trucking because often the the new drivers are at their second or third career. It's a very lucrative career, but it's also one that's terribly underrepresented in women. And it's got a great opportunity to make a great income. However, there's a a lot of challenges with that industry and being on the road. So we have that. And then We have Lead Her Trades. So right now we're uh, focusing on the construction trades. And so what we have happening right now with this first group that we're putting through are women who are apprenticing in everything from pipe fitting to joiners, to electricians, to plumbers, to iron workers. So those are the um, areas we're reaching out to and we're getting our mentees from there. And then same thing, we're finding seasoned women who have experienced being on the construction site who are mentoring with them. You can just imagine the unique challenges that happen for a woman on a construction site when she's probably one of very few women that is on that site with a lot of other men. Just that opportunity to, to be formally matched up with and support it. Right now we're working on, we haven't got it launched yet, but we're working with women who are in the investment advisors, uh, investment industry, because that, So a lot of women who can make a very substantial, lucrative career out of the investment world. But again, it's been male dominated, still is. And so having a woman that they could reach out to and have as a mentor is a really important thing. We're working on lead her agriculture right now. And so we have a group of women who are actually farming and that's their careers in egg. And they want to have a a lead her egg so that we can get together and put young women who have chosen careers in farming and agriculture, and match them up. These are really exciting things. The list can go on, right? We have, we've parked it for right now, but we have Leader Arts. So it's sitting there. We just haven't got the capacity at the moment to fill it, but it will be. And it got started with some mentees who have graduated out of community college programs in performing arts, and they want to make a career in the arts. But how do you make a career in the arts? How do you sustain yourself? How do you find that economically you can do that? How do you weather the times that you're not gigging or you don't have a, a player in or whatever so again matching them up with women who have succeeded and gone through the highs and lows of making entertainment their careers we're open to ideas so anyone as you said anyone watching the program and can see a lane that we should be in we're very keen to to hear from you
1: my bells are going off <laughs> yeah because i i love what you're doing in And perhaps maybe this is a bias of mine, but not the traditional areas of mentorship where I could really see a need. Right now, you look at agriculture, which I'm going to introduce you to somebody because I'm doing a keynote right now for the agriculture industry And, uh, and just finishing it up about choosing to express your feminine power and what that looks like in agriculture. We've just had an election in Canada. And one of the commitments to that platform from the Liberals was to build more affordable housing. The big concern right now is there's not enough people to do the building, not enough in construction, in the trades. So this is a huge opportunity for women. You get good pay and having someone there to do it. The arts. I love that you're exploring that as well. Uh, I used to work in finance and you're absolutely right. You can make a huge income in finance and there's more and more women going into it. They're very successful when they go into finance because they have a different connection with particularly women investing, right?
2: That's right. And with that particular one, what we're doing right now, we're recruiting our mentors and not only are they women who, have their career in investments and finance, but also the allied professionals from law to accounting to any of the ones that you want to build a relationship with. And that made sense to us to bring that perspective into the mentoring as well. The other one is STEM. So women in tech, women in any of the STEMs, that's another huge piece. The opportunities are there and we've got our timelines and we're just uh, making it happen.
1: How did you identify this social gap?
2: Yeah. I think for me, what was happening was, as you mentioned in my introduction, so Power of the Purse Women's Conference is a conference that I created back in 2007, 2008, offered it for 10 years. We ended up doing 24 conferences over that 10 years in Ontario, plus we went out to the East Coast. And Suzanne, at the conference, and it was a women's conference, so we'd have two to 300 women in the room for the day. It was all about recognizing that as women, we make money and we spend money, so our spending affects the economy, our spending certainly affects decisions, and we need to get together in a room and celebrate that and make sure that we high-five ourselves and say, yeah, we're doing this, and recognize that let's not lose that opportunity. So that was, the, yeah, exactly. So that was the premise of the conference, and then I'd have speakers come in and, and speak and you know talk about their challenges. It was a great day, but it was a celebration day too what i wanted to always make sure in the last five years over that 10 years because things change was that i was including younger women we had our target audience and they were 35 to 60 in there but that where's that young woman so i would reach out to community colleges and universities and offer seats and rbc was my lead sponsor so they would offer uh seats so we could fill them with young women and it was great and the day was amazing i'd always have a host at each table who was, again, the seasoned woman who would get to meet them. I'd introduce the young women from the stage. But at the end of the day, the conference was over. And honestly, so was most of those relationships that you'd meet women, you exchange business cards. But like I said, who in their early 20s really is going to pick up the phone or email to someone that they just met who's the CEO of a company and just say, hi, we met at Power of the Purse and I've got a question to ask you. So while it sounds good, in in uh, theory, it, it wasn't in practice. So That, for me, was where I thought, you know what, there's this gap. We've got all of this talent of women who could give back and reach back and move up and open doors for young women, but we're not harnessing the talent. We're leaving it, and and we're not doing what we should be doing. We all should be in service, I think, woman to absolutely reach out and, and help a young woman along. That was really the identified. Obviously, did a lot of reading and looked up what was happening in mentoring, both nationally and internationally. There's a consistent story every time that when women work together, when women help each other, when women's voices amplify women's voices, so much more gets done. So what a better way than to create not only this mentoring program, but the network that stays afterwards, which is a big component for me too. Once you're in Lead Her Alliance, you're also part of Lead Her Network and you'll have a lifelong access to all of these women as this program grows. And that that's exciting to me to be able to do sure. that.
1: Yeah. Sure, absolutely is. You described it from your experience that there was a need. Did you actually do a community assessment? Yeah. Did yeah. you actually ask these young women what they needed in order yeah. to uh, grow in their businesses? Yeah. And it can you talk a little yeah, bit, yeah, absolutely.
2: That? So, what I did was, I created a focus group, and, and it turned out that this group of women have stayed on as our development team, offering their ideas and their input. But I put together a group of young women and, and women who would be mentors and got them around the virtual table and talked to them about where are the gaps where are your needs from the eyes of a young woman who's just trying to get into her career. And then also from the experience of the rest of us, as we look back and what happened. And especially because Suzanne, it was happening during COVID. What I was hearing around the round table was that these young women were saying, where do we connect? Like we have no opportunity to meet and connect and build our network. There simply isn't, there were no events happening. And that's where, we have always traditionally met, but even so, there wasn't even like classes. If you're in school, classes were virtual. So it wasn't even that opportunity to really interact with your teachers or if, uh, any of that or go to the events or see what's happening in the community. So there was a real, I would almost say a, a fear that I was hearing, a real desperation of I'm not connecting and, and I need to, and I'm not sure how to do that. And so that certainly was around the table. And then the topic. So in our program, we have it's 10 months, there are 10 topics, and then those topics are delivered by 10 hosts who are experts in their fields. Within those topics, we spent quite a bit of time getting feedback again from our focus groups as to what they really wanted to see in those topics. And there's like leadership is is a big one and confidence and financial literacy and creation. Not just the literacy, but the owning your owning your financial story, and then how do you start to work on wealth creation, philanthropy, and giving back, and community building? Certainly, speaking, how to public speak, how to how to present yourself, self care, and resiliency. Just there's a, a whole number of these topics that we do that are part of the 10, 10, 10. That again came right from the mouths of the the young women who were looking for it, these are the things they identified that they were missing out on. So that became the content for our curriculum.
1: Yeah, and it's such an important piece is asking what you want. I'm so thrilled to see this transformation of us telling what you need Uh and and switching to, let's ask uh, the beneficiary or in Mm -hmm. your case, the mentor mentees what they need. Uh, How do you find your mentees now?
2: How do we go about them? So social media is certainly, we're starting to really ramp up with that. Referrals, again, referrals is still a a big piece of it because these young women who are now in our fourth, we've had like our four groups are all suggesting and identifying and reaching out to their contemporaries to say, hey, this is great program, you should do it. The mentors themselves know young women in their world whom they suggest you should um, do it. And then of course we are looking for and working with some sponsors as well. So companies that are saying, yeah, financially, we're going to get behind this. And that's, of course, our financial sustainability on the program. For example, the Women in Trucking, they have this large organization, they have membership, and they have their own social media that they have worked on. We have ours. And so we've collaborated through that. We've been picked up by a lot of press release in the, in the US and been featured in some articles and we were on a Sirius FM radio station that is on trucking and and women trucking. So there's been lots of that. So again, it really is social media platforms and word of mouth and the opportunity like this to be able to do some some, uh, live programming.
1: So, you had mentioned earlier that the pandemic actually gave you the opportunity to finally mm-hmm. one of the few good things about the pandemic, right? is getting those ideas um, out into the universe, which is fabulous, which means you've only been operating uh, lead her alliance for two years or how long? Not even
2: quite. So okay. we so started it twenty, like I said you, the idea had been fermenting for quite some time, but the beginning of twenty in twenty nineteen, I had taken a hiatus from doing Power of the Purse. I'd hit conference number 24, wanted to take a, a year off and then reimagine it and come back with the 25th one with some different things at it. So during that time, I was really focusing on this young women's portion of it. And I was in there building a mentorship piece. Now, it didn't look like Lead Her Alliance, but it was a mentorship piece. And so that was the launching board. And then when COVID hit in March, it just allowed me to ramp it up. And so we've just really been launched within the last six months as far as the actual programs, but it's a lot of yeah. weeks months before that. It doesn't happen overnight, but getting it ready. And, and I would say, Suzanne, I have been absolutely amazed at how quickly this has scaled up because I really had a timeline. And I guess I think we are all conservative in those timelines because we want to make sure that we do it and do it right and such. But it was like the response to it and the need and the ideas and the numbers of mentors we have signing up and the mentees who want to apply. So we've really had to ramp up faster than we had thought we were, but it's a great problem to have because we certainly are seeing that there's a real need for it. So that's a good problem to have.
1: The reason I was asking that question at the time was actually, have you, what measures do you have in place to know if, it's successful because you've just started. So you may not actually what's gaining traction. So mm-hmm. that's one element of success. Uh, but what measures do you have in place and what does that success look like?
2: And so what we've done is we had measures in place in throughout in different different milestones. Obviously, the first was are we going to be able to attract mentees? Can we actually find the young women that we think are out there? And are they interested and are they willing to, to sign up? So That was certainly one of them. And that has not been a problem. And then the same makes sense. The same goes with mentors, right? Can we recruit mentors? Are we asking for something that women are not willing to give? Is it too time consuming? Is it does it fit? Is it laid out in a way that it works for everyone? So again, we've done that. And then the other piece was, can we find corporate sponsorship? Can we find Companies and individuals who want to financially get behind this and support it. So, again, that was a marker. And then throughout the program, how is it working? We're looking at do the matches stay? Are they holding? Are we having trouble with a match that we've made that is just not the right match? And they're, we've built into that. It, it's not always going to work, but we have communication is very tight. We make sure we speak to everyone and we're on top of that. And we've had only like one situation so far. And then there were, extenuating circumstances to why the young woman couldn't continue but so we have that and then the other piece is the success at each of the 10 topics so the the host delivers her topic that month and then the mentor or mentee meet up and they talk about the topic they've just participated in and then of course they talk about other things too but that was that program to give everybody what are you talking about here's the the topic so of course then we get feedback on those sessions and how well received they were and were they on point? Were they on topic? Are they the kinds of things that you said you were looking for and what are you getting out of it? So we have those measures all the way along that we're tracking. The one thing, of course, we can't track yet is that continued networking afterwards viable. And so we have leader network, we have the plan. There'll be, a, there is a directory, you're in the directory, you're accessible, et cetera. We have engaged planned post that everything from continued learning to sessions is the pickup on that. And is it what they want still remains to be seen in that piece, but certainly the the, the crux of the 10, 10, 10 so far, very good, but we're obviously ready to adjust if we had to as well.
1: Great. Now you've just alluded to this, but I, I just want to make sure what is the ultimate impact on the beneficiary of your initiative?
2: So with the mentee, the impact is, um, firstly, building a network. That's one piece of it. Is she able to start to and build a network that she can call on? So have we given her the right steps? Have we opened the doors the right way? The other piece is, have we increased her confidence? Does she feel better about what she's doing? We have a session on risk-taking in career choices, and that's a really important session. And so have we given her enough background, enough understanding? Have we given her enough tools? Does she feel good after what we've spent time with her in knowing that she's got the ability to make choices on risks in her career, whether you stay with your career, you leave, you go for another job, all those things. So the, the impact for the beneficiary being the mentee is, do you feel equipped? Do you feel better equipped? Do you feel more confident? Do you feel empowered? to make better choices or make new choices or make choices that you didn't think you could, but now you can you get up there and note because we do a whole piece on negotiating and you ask for the salary that you want and you don't always have to take a backseat, et cetera, like all of that's into it. So that would be the, the impact. Does she feel
1: empowered
2: in a way that she wasn't at the beginning of it?
1: Through attracting mentors, let's move over there. Mm -hmm. Collaboration is such a big part of this. And you mentioned the financing, that you have different organizations helping with financing. And I believe you also charge the mentee.
2: There is a fee for the seat. However, our goal was that we wouldn't have to charge the mentee. She's aware that there is a charge, but that someone is sponsoring her seat for her. So that is the ideal. Uh, We really wanted to remove the financial barrier so that there wasn't a reason why someone couldn't, especially when we're global. A lot of people have very different financial ability to do this and yet they have great needs. As I said, there is a fee for the seat, but so far we've managed to be able to have those seats sponsored. I'm a big believer in skin in the game. I think that everybody has to know that there is a cost to doing these things and our Young mentees are aware of that. And I think they feel very privileged that we've been able to find someone to uh, support them. But again, it, it's a sliding scale. So if we couldn't do that, then it's a very nominal fee for them to be involved. Yeah. But it, so then the crux on that is that we've got to obviously keep people supporting it, supporting a mentor or from a corporate piece to want to have an affiliation with it right
1: sponsors themselves what do they want in return because i know Mm -hmm. i have a foundation and i sponsored for higher education is where i've put my investment and to create future women leaders and in doing that i want something back i got for me, I want a report. How's it going? I want you to do blogs. I want insights so that I can educate other people what this person's doing. So there's a sense of connection. So is there anything that you do so the sponsor feels that they're connected in one way or another? Actually,
2: yes. And I think because in my career over the past, I've spent a lot of time in the nonprofit sector and fundraising and doing a lot of also corporate side sponsorship. So representing and being the voice of the corporation, working with the nonprofit, what is that good balance? What is that relationship? So within that we have engaged our sponsors whom we have to date in the program. So one of our first sponsors to get on board was Robin Tingley and Robin has a company called glass sky she is from New Brunswick and this is a woman who is amazing and she has dedicated many years to making sure that she elevates women and finds opportunity and she deals with diversity and equity and inclusion. And so for her, she was very keen to build a relationship with us right from the ground floor because this speaks to her. As she said, this is the action to all the things that matter to her in making these opportunities. But this is a real action, right, where you literally are putting people together as these mentor mentee matches. And that was a real appeal to her. So Robin also is someone who I knew we wanted to be one of the hosts and deliver a session because I've I know what she does and I know how powerful she is. We've engaged her to actually not only financially be a sponsor, but also give us her time to to deliver a session, which she has. And then she's actually stepped up to do a second one because we we saw a need for that. Robin has written a book. And so she donates her copy of her book to all of the young women as they go through, which is super. And it's a great workbook for them. So it's that kind of engagement. And so women in trucking, again, amazing. The women that are at the head of it are engaged. They're on the calls because we do an orientation call. So the sponsor's on the call. The sponsor speaks as well in the session. She's there at the wrap up to really put a face to the sponsor name. It's not just XYZ company, but here they are. And also to let our mentor mentees know, why did you get involved? Why did you sponsor? What were you looking for? What were your needs? Like just as you had spoken, what were your needs to want to be a sponsor of a team of Lead Her Alliance? And that's a learning, that's a networking, that's a a whole other level, right? For all of our participants to actually have the access to the sponsor and be able to ask her questions and about her company. So it's really, the whole thing is, it's, it's just working really well. And I, I that's definitely the platform and the model, Suzanne, that we are moving forward with. And we see it working very well at this point.
1: That's a key collaboration experience. Mm-hmm. It just uh, with a sponsor, because so many people look for sponsors, is there any pieces of advice that you could provide on how to find a good sponsor to align with your mission mm-hmm. and, and maybe how to treat them as well?
2: Yeah. I think the key is that word align. So firstly, if you're, anyone who's watching this, so if you're thinking of launching a program Like we're talking about, not necessarily mentorship, a program that there's a need in the community and you've got the answer for it and you are looking for financial support that way. It's the alignment. So what really makes sense? Who is your target? And is there a real alignment to what you're doing, what you're delivering that would make them want to get involved? So, for example, with our trades it's recruitment and retention and career progression, right? We have a number of unions that are on board and they are sponsoring seats for their apprentices. And then they're also helping us find the experienced tradeswomen. So in that, they have a real need, right? They need to recruit and they need to retain. Same as women in trucking. That's the first way we started our conversation with Ellen and, and Debbie from women in trucking was, look, we see a need for recruitment and retention. And they went, that's exactly what we're about, recruitment and retention. So let's do this. And same with like I said with Robin, she is someone who wants to propel women forward. And we were able to say, hey, we've got an actual program that's going to do it. It's, a, it's an experiential opportunity. So that aligned with her. Our investment one, that makes sense. And again, it's based on recruitment and retention. So some of the fund companies are interested in coming on board. So that's the, the key, I think, the alignment. You asked about how to treat them. And That's important to engage. So I've always it doesn't matter what I've been involved with, whether I was raising money for Ronald McDonald House or junior achievement or whatever I was doing over my career, it's engage your sponsor. Make sure that they know and you update them and you let them know what's happening. And not just all the good stuff either. You can share with them if there's been some challenges or whatever, but engage them and get their feedback. And if they don't want that kind of engagement, they'll let you know. But majority of them want that kind of engagement in because it's such a demanding world, right? For your dollars, your sponsor dollars or your marketing dollars. So it's competitive.
1: I'm getting excited again. This is the third conversation I've had in regards to Lead Her lion that I've had. And the more I think about it, the bigger the opportunity I see because, for, and you see it, you're there. But I'm just, I'm raising my hands because collaborating with the organizations is such an important piece. If you can take some of the mentorship off their plate... And you're almost like an external HR kind of sort of thing, which ironically, so am I, but for social impact in a different way than you are. So we're quite complimented that way. But there's so many organizations that they, we know we need to mentor them with diversity, equity, inclusion being s- such a huge topic, finally, that mentorship is such an important part and that if in six months you move this and if you can continue moving that hell i'll be working for you soon
2: <laughs> perfect and i'm not letting you get away anyway I want you involved. <laughs> it's interesting when you said that because the other piece to our, our plan as I said these umbrellas and the private label the other one is to be private label uh, mentorship program for a company i just am in conversation right now with an association and they're in a particular industry, and they know that they want to do mentorships. But rather than them have someone in-house who they assign this mentorship program to, we come in, and we said, look, we've got it, right? We've got the program. We have the 10 months, 10 topics, 10 uh, hosts. You are looking for a mentorship program, so we'll recruit. Like, you give us the names in your inside who you want, so you're working on developing talent in young managers or whatever. So you give us who you want for the mentees and you give us the names of who you feel might be the mentors, we'll do the work. We'll do the reach out, we'll do the matching, we'll do it, we'll run the program through for the 10 months. And so that is part of it. Or I said, that's the one company we're in and we have just started a conversation with another one who they want their employees, their young employees, to be mentored with people outside of their company. They have a reason for that. So we're very pliable, I guess. We're responsive. We can change. But that's the idea that I'm having these conversations with these companies saying, look, you've got a mandate to do this. You have a need. You see it. You want diversity. You want inclusion. You want equity. These are topics that we're involved in. We can do this for you will come in and actually run the program and make it and co-brand it with them. So XYZ company and us, and then give them an opportunity out of those 10 topics to also bring one of their industry experts in to deliver a topic. So there's lots of, lots and lots of conversation around that, that I think makes sense.
1: So there's a few questions I have for you that I'm going to try to make them really fast before I get to our rapid fire. But I just want to make sure this part is clear to listeners of this podcast. is This is a for-profit initiative.
2: My company, High Altitude Thinking, is a for-profit company. However, much like Power of the Purse, I created a separate project that which was power of the purse, which was not a profit-centered. I, I didn't make a profit on the conferences. I had to cover my expenses. I couldn't go upside down on them. If there was money left over on some and not on others, it just got reinvested back into the conference and/or it got reinvested into we used to work with the charity each time and I would help launch some projects with them. This very similarly so while it is under it's a division of my for-profit, high altitude thinking, it isn't designed at this point to be a for-profit centered it is about a social enterprise a a passion enterprise it's so it is about launching this and growing it it isn't set up to be the money-making product if it could turn into that would be lovely but I think it'll go the other way I think we'll end up um, applying and and to make it into a, a non-profit as it grows but I've got some timelines I wanted to get through first to see obviously I also have Suzanne really quickly but I've put together a lead her board so a board of women I'm reaching out to and discussing with particular women who I know have the resources and the means and the interest and the passion and they're at a point in their lives where stepping up and putting some dollars behind seeding this growth is right what they're looking for so I'm talking with and have a number of those women that have stepped up and they're on board and we're going to do something with them before the end of the year. So that's how financially we're making it work. And of course, the revenue piece is that we're charging the sponsors and the partners and that for this, right? So to cover expenses, because we do have a staff person and we do have some expenses. That
1: becomes really important too, that is you do have a business that is income generating, and this is just a branch of that. It's yeah. under the same business. You're a for-profit business, but this is something you're doing. You're just yeah. trying to br- break even on it. You don't want it to be a cost.
2: I'm not in a position to make it a cost. Yeah,
1: And, and I mentioned that too, because often people are trying to figure out, okay, yeah. how do I do this?
2: Yeah. How do I monetize it? Or how do uh, I, yeah.
1: Because you have to sustain it and in sustaining Now, the project itself doesn't need to be sustainable, but something else has to be sustainable in order for that project to continue. Or so it's like taking your money from here, from Peter, bringing it to Paul, or in this case, from uh, Cynthia (laughs) to Susan, whatever the case may be, that becomes really important. If you can give me two pieces of advice that you may have for people who want to start to have a social impact? What advice would you give them?
2: I think if we just stay on the financial lane for a moment, I'm in a good position where I have the ability to do this. And so I've taken advantage of that financially where I am in my life. I think though, that it's important to recognize that there are startup costs in this, just like it was a for profit business at startup. So you need to have the funding. And that's a lesson that I've learned the hard way when I started my conference, because I, of course, I was just going to do one conference. So that's why I'm making sure that I've got this kind of seed funding, but some revenue resources that I can call upon to pay the ongoing expenses while we grow this and while we find those companies that are working with us and sponsors, et cetera. Because otherwise, you'll end up in a deficit position so quickly. So that's first piece of advice. Take a look at what do you need to, you know, what's your cash flow projection? What do you need over the next 12 to 18 months? How are you going to fund that so that you don't get yourself bottled in or or that you find yourself not being able to take advantage of opportunity because you simply can't because there's an expense, right, with everything. And I'm sorry, I forget what the other question
1: was. (laughs) If you had one or two pieces of of advice, that's one piece. Do you have another piece? Yeah,
2: the other piece is collaboration. So you know what? You're not an island and you can't do it all. And you need to reach out and find like-minded people that are willing to buy into your idea, buy into your passion, and want to help you through it. And so don't be afraid. And that's something, listen, at my age, I've had to realign and go, yeah, okay, this is my idea. But I'm going to, I have to reach out. And I'm going to reach out to that person and say, hey, I could use your help. And this is what I need. And can you get behind it? So I would say that collaboration is a huge piece. So put your plan together, like I did. See your visual Who are the women around the table or the man or whomever around the table that you want to approach and get behind you? And don't be afraid to tell them what you actually are looking for. If you need financial help or names or contacts or whatever. But so I think the two things. Excellent.
1: So let's go to that. Do you have two pieces of advice, perhaps, how to engage those mentors long-term? People get excited. I want to help. I want to help. And I know you may not even know this answer yet, because it is only been six months. But from a planning standpoint, how are you proposing to engage those mentors long-term beyond the six months?
2: The mentors you mean in the program who we're using to match up with the mentees? Yeah. So really quickly, one of the big things that Sarah and I have learned is that the mentors are getting as much out of this as the mentees. They are, they're loving it, okay? They're loving coming on board, watching all the sessions. They're loving the interaction with their mentees. And so that's important that they're getting something out of it and that we're checking back with them and we're staying in communication with them and we're giving them opportunities and we put them together for mentor meetups. So we'll get all on zoom and the mentors are all there together, no mentees, so they can talk about it. So that I think that's important. And then the recognition as well, while they're not demanding the recognition, it's about recognizing what they're doing and making sure that we, like I said, the checking back and, bringing them along so they see the expansion, they see the interest, they see what people are saying. And a lot of effort is goes into relationship building with those mentors. So again, Suzanne, I can't tell you how many are going to stay within the leader network at the end. I do know already that a number of them have said, sign me up again already. So we can only go with that anecdotal. And-
1: I'll be interested as we keep in touch because no doubt you and I will. <laughs> no, <yes>. uh, <laughs> I have a feeling... Um, (laughs) although where you need mentors is not necessarily my strong suit but Mm -hmm. that being said everyone has something to offer and i think that's a really important piece and i i I say that tongue almost tongue-in-cheek do you have you know any advice for organizations that actually want to have a mentor program within their organization and don't want to outreach to you is there any yeah do you have a Couple of pieces there, and then we'll go into our quick yeah. fire questions.
2: Interesting. I think it comes down to what you had said earlier in one of your questions as to how did I know what the mentees want? So I would say to Madam CEO, and you want a mentorship program in your company, so don't assume what the mentee wants. Ask them what they want and what they need within your company in a mentor because. And the same thing with the mentor that you recruit, don't assume and don't make them think, oh, I got to do it because it's going to look good on my permanent record. I, I, I can't say no because my manager or my boss, it's about managing expectations, but ask them what they're looking for and what they want and use that as your um, baseline for building the curriculum around it. And then, other than that, contact us because we really have it, okay? So, and it's <laughs> way, way less expensive than putting all your own internal time into it. So, um,
1: good on yeah.
2: you. <laughs> Missed that moment, Suzanne.
1: <laughs> all right, so let's go into some rapid-fire questions. Yeah, oh, hold on here. So these are really short and sharp, okay, Cynthia?
2: So I have to be sharp. Okay, go ahead.
1: Short and sharp. And if you don't have an answer for it, you can say pass, but give it a shot. What is one thing you wish you knew prior to engaging down the path of lead her Alliance?
2: I wish I knew how how excited people were going to get about it because I would have maybe built it bigger sooner or like my plan for it. I think I was um, a little too conservative in my growth projections.
1: Worst piece of advice you've ever received? Or just, (laughs) it doesn't have to be the worst, but bad piece of advice that you've ever received.
2: Bad piece of advice. I've received advice in the past about some of the ideas that I've had and and the things I've done. And I've received advice that said, don't do it. It'll take too much out of you. It'll be, it'll drain you, leave you with nothing left to, to give. And I chose not to, and I've chosen not to listen to that advice. And And uh, you know what? I don't have a regret anywhere, but I've had, I've heard that before.
1: And everyone's experience is different. Thanks for that. That's a really good reminder of one person's depletions, another person's energy. So best piece of advice you've ever received?
2: Best piece of advice is what's the worst they can say. And the worst they can say is no. And I attribute that to my dad, Patrick O'Neill. And, and my dad had said that years and years ago to me. He had an agriculture farming business. He was a truck driver, by the way. He was a transport driver. And he also had a, a side hustle, which was our farm. And we had egg production and potatoes. And I used to drive a truck when I was 16 and go around and deliver eggs and potatoes to restaurants. And I was I had to stop and go and knock on the door of those restaurants and say, hey, here's what I'm selling. Do you want to buy? Can you imagine this at 16? There I was doing that. But dad had said what's the worst thing to say? No. And so it's ingrained in me and it has stood me in such good set throughout my career. You got to ask for money. You have to ask for help. You have to ask for volunteers. You have to ask for whatever. Keep that in mind. What's the worst that they can say? No. Like <laughs> if that's the worst that they can say,
1: you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. so which strengths do you rely on most to have the success you've achieved? We know one, you've just mentioned it. <laughs> you don't take no for an answer. Yeah.
2: Strength. So I lead by my gut and I believe when I see it and feel it, I know it. And so I think that's an attribute or that's a thing about me that I'm empathetic, an empath, maybe not to the full definition, but I feel for people. I feel their pain. I, I understand. I see where there's gaps. So, and it all comes into my gut that I can Find a solution. So, I don't know what that what category that all fits under Suzanne, but I know that's a big intuition. Piece of
1: it. You follow your intuition, intuition. which is, is is very common for mm-hmm. women, and very common for women who have a social impact from interviews. A matter of fact, I'm including that as one of my key feminine power characteristics: is following your intuition, but knowing how to do that as well. Now, beside yours, which is young women starting a career. Which beneficiary do you think needs the most investment of time, research, and money?
2: I I believe it is our Aboriginal population, absolutely, and our Aboriginal youth.
1: I know you have five children.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're a blended family. My husband, Paul, Panabaker, and I are a blended family, and we are blessed with five fabulous young people.
1: Now, I know none of them are 10 years old now. (laughs) No. However if you had a daughter 10 years old today knowing what you know today what advice would you give to her
2: wow so i don't think i would categorize it as advice but what what i do i would choose my language around her very specifically and i would speak to her about her confidence and i speak to her about you can do anything you want By the way, I did do this with Natalie as well, but I would definitely um, say and make sure that she focuses on she has body confidence and she has confidence and she sees that she can do what she attempts to. But I also wouldn't put unrealistic expectations on her that say you have to win at absolutely everything. I'd want to make sure I also gave her the skills to be resilient. What happens if you don't win at that? What happens if that doesn't? work out the way you thought it would. Let's find ways to rebound. So I think resilience isn't taught specifically young enough and it needs to. So I would say Suzanne, those would be the things that that I would do, among others.
1: What advice do you wish you received?
2: So I, I think I think it would be balance a bit. Like if someone had maybe taught me at an earlier, much earlier age how to balance everything, because, you know, I always had ideas in my head. And I've always been involved in a lot of different things. And I think, at times to the sacrifice of perhaps my own personal interests. And so if someone maybe had given me a bit more path and direction as to how to find that balance, I'm not going to say work life balance, I don't believe there is such a thing. But just that personal balance or how to put maybe my needs in there a little more too, like, I'll be really candid with you. It's just between you and me and everybody else watching. But I don't have a hobby. Okay, I don't know how many people watching this actually have a hobby, but I don't have a hobby. Like I I don't knit. I don't do a craft. I don't take do photography. I don't paint. I don't have a hobby. I guess my hobby is charity. My hobby is being getting involved in in you know projects and fun helping people raise money or whatever. But I don't have a hobby, and I think that. Maybe if I could go back and someone had given me advice that I didn't get, it would have been get yourself a hobby too.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, I appreciate that because I, I have a hobby. I just don't do my hobby. <laughs> so, yeah, So I guess that's could be the other thing too, right? It's the same thing. So when you're when your life is focused on impact and contributing, it it's and sustaining that. It's pretty all consuming. So finding your own time, I spin. Yeah. I meditate. Those are things that I have brought into my life, pandemic. uh, I was going to
2: say, is that later? I know you're the interviewer, but is that (laughs) later that you've done that? Or was that something you incorporated in your life? um... I would
1: say I've been incorporating my life for many years now, but with much more diligence. I spin every day now Um, like that because I bought a bike. (laughs) I meditate. I go through phases, but more and more to connect with my feminine energy i need to yeah. meditate so it's really important so who is the greatest female influence in your life
2: oh my god oh there's more than one just give me, me.
1: one because I'm just, really just give me one.
2: one yeah female influence in my life i guess i would say a little bit in reverse but my daughter um who's 33 now and so for 33 years she has influenced everything i've done
1: Oh, fabulous. And you, an advocate of a mentorship. Who was your mentor? Now, not the name so much as, was it a friend, a teacher, a business associate? Who was that person?
2: First one, outside of teachers, which I think teachers play that role. I had a a theater arts teacher who was definitely a mentor. So then outside of that, one of my first careers was I sold real estate when I was 21 years old. And I had a, a woman that was in our real estate office and Val was amazing. And she took me under her wing and she taught me everything I needed to know to succeed in that industry and to succeed with business people and to succeed working for a very sexist male boss. And the stuff I learned, Val Campion was her name and I owe her so much. I would say she'd be the first one I'd identify.
1: And last question before we wrap up is what three values do you live by?
2: Mm, honesty honesty, integrity, and empathy.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to come back to one more question for you as I wrap up here. Thank you everyone for joining us uh, and you can subscribe to Yumi so you receive each new interview notification in your inbox. So if you don't get us live, you can get access on an ongoing basis. We've just started going live. So for 10 years, we've, you've always only got us through the website. So By all means, you get information. I don't bombard you. It's once every two weeks, you'll get new information. Please share this interview by going to the share button on. Each of the guests have their own page. So you can comment on the interview as well on that page and you'll have their contact information there in regards to their website. Don't worry, I don't hand out your phone number, Cynthia. (laughs) The interview is (laughs) is available in podcast, video, and, and transcript. We're back to providing transcripts as well. So if you know someone who has had a significant social impact in business, education, civic service, or advocacy, let us know. Visit our guest tab on You, Me, We, Amplify and submit their information. And we'll get our research team to look and contact them if they're a good fit. Now, if you do want to grow your social impact, please, I invite you to look at the YouMeWe community, Women Leading Social Impact. Visit us at youmewe.ca for this exclusive group of women transforming organizations and communities through conscious leadership and social impact. Cynthia, my last question does go back to you. Do you have any words of wisdom for our audience regarding making a conscious contribution and social impact to society?
2: look outward, see the gap, see the need, and don't be afraid to come up with a way to fill it. And you may not think you've got the capacity if you're just one person, but yes, you can. And if you see that, you start that conversation, you start reaching out. And I think you'll be very surprised. And, and there's so many other women who make social impact, I think would agree with me and You Suzanne who does, but it's identify that need and come up with an idea and don't be afraid just get it out there, throw it out and see what what happens with it. But uh, that's the only way we solve all of these small pieces that become big pieces is that we're not afraid to step up and, and make a change.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Cynthia. Stay on the line with me, Cynthia, as we wrap up here. And thank you so much for your contribution counts and the incredible work you're doing. And coming in at the beginning is so exciting because I know in a couple of years time, we will have another interview. And I have no doubt in my mind that your initiative of lead per alliance Mm -hmm. is going to boom. So Thank you for your contribution to society. Thank you for your time and energy and your passion. And everyone else, until next time, make your contribution count for you, me, we.
0: This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your compass to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Visit youmewe.ca slash book for more information. Thank you for joining us for the You me, we Amplified, Women Leading Social Impact in Their Communities and Beyond podcast. For more interviews, visit youmewe.ca slash podcast. Until next time, make your contribution count for you, your organization, and your community.